right. Thank you, ladies. There's something about that name. Amen. Powerful name. I'd like us to uh, take our Bibles and turn to the book of John chapter 8 and verse 44. John chapter 8 and verse 44. You should be receiving a uh, handout sheet, and I'm going to explain this in a moment after we read a verse to introduce the subject today and tonight on ten great evil feats of Satan and uh, that we want you to be aware of. You know, we we had a sports analogy this morning in Sunday school. Here's another one. When a football team is going to play another football team, they study their enemy. <laughs> all right? They study their opponent, their adversary, and they know all about them. I mean, just to try to give themselves as much of an advantage as they possibly can, they study everything about them. And um, we have an adversary. And I want you to notice here in John chapter 8 and verse number 44 about the nature of our adversary who is the devil. Jesus was saying this to a bunch of bad guys. Ye are of your father the devil and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And so we see three things revealed to us here about our adversary. He's full of lust, he's a murderer, and he's a liar. And uh, Jesus taught us that in one verse. Now Jesus spoke of the devil on 15 different occasions. 15 different occasions he spoke of the devil, Satan. I tend to believe what he says. Uh, A lot of people deny the existence of the devil or Satan or act like he's not real when he is, and that's a lot of our problem, I think, is we don't realize we have an adversary every day, every day. And uh, so the Lord tells us in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 11 uh, that we should be aware of the wiles of the devil. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11, he says we should not be ignorant of the devil's devices. um, We have an adversary. His name is the devil, Satan. He's real. And the Lord told us to study his wiles. That comes from the Greek word methodia, or methods. And study his devices. Now, I was at a preacher's fellowship in uh, Seneca Falls back in November, and Pastor Wade Prime was preaching. And then at the end of his sermon, he gave out these notes right here. You might see his name at the bottom. Uh, On your notes, Pastor Wade Prime, a wonderful man uh, of God out in Schenectady, uh, New York. And uh, he gave us these notes just kind of to take home and share them with the congregation. And I've been meaning to, and and I I thought this was good because I think there's a better chance for us to have victory if we know what what he's coming at us with. And boy, he's given us the full load these days. I mean, it's like buckshot. And uh, so I want to speak uh, this morning and tonight 
on this outline that uh, Brother Wade gave us, and he didn't really cover it much in his sermon or anything, but but I try to develop it into a message. And so you have these notes here, and the title of it's called Ten Great Evil Feats of Satan. Ten Great Evil Feats of Satan today, and pretty much you'll see that it's always been this way. This is part one this morning, one through five, and then we'll do six through ten tonight. Notice the uh, uh, word evil, evil in the word evil. He's got E in quotes, and so... What he's going to do is alliterate now using ten words that all begin with the letter E. Uh, I've always thought alliteration is a great way to learn truths. problem with these is they're so long, the words I can't memorize them. Maybe you have a sharper mind than I have. I, I don't even know what some of these words meant until I started studying them. But uh, it's good stuff, and I hope it will help you this morning. I hope, first of all, you're saved and that you're a child of God. And if you are a child of God and you got saved, maybe baptized, and then someone said to you, now everything's going to be fine from here on out, they lied to you. They maybe meant well, but uh, some things in your life will probably get worse from that point on because you got a big bullseye on your back now uh, that the devil is shooting at. Uh, You used to be his child. I used to be his child. That's what the scripture says. And then we became children of God by rebirth, by being born again of the Spirit of God into the family of God. We were born again and became God's children. As many as believed on Him, to them gave He the power to become the sons of God, even to them that receive Him. I got that verse mixed up. But if you'll receive Christ and believe on Him, you will become one of the sons or daughters of God. Now, At that time, you inherit an enemy, and you're going to have to fight with him to your last breath. There's no discharge from this war. And so the more you study him, just like a football team or something studies who they're playing this week to give themselves as much of an advantage as they can, it's still going to be a battle. Uh, But they'll have a better chance of winning, of knowing what they're, they're, they're coming now. Jesus just said to us in John 8, 44, that the devil is a liar. Not only is he a liar, he's the father of lies. He makes up lies. He's a liar. He's very bold about it. He makes them up. And uh, we see that, and we will look at Genesis 3 uh, again when the first time he's uh, introduced to us in Scripture, the devil. We see him lying to Eve. He's a liar. He just makes up stuff. And we have uh, ten of his lies here this morning and tonight. And so let's look into these here, and uh, we'll we'll try to cover all five of these this morning, what time we can. The first lie is the lie of evolution. Now, most of us have heard of this one. Some of these other words we're going to say, boy, I never heard of that word in my life till today. But the lie of evolution the biggest hoax of all time, that man evolved through millions of years. He was not created. It is survival of the fittest and denial of the highest. The theory of evolution. Now, there's all kinds of theories of evolution. There's six different theories of evolution. And, uh, for instance, cosmic evolution, uh, we are told, began with the Big Bang. Now, if you didn't know about this, you've all heard of the Big Bang Theory. 
that there was a, a, a tremendous explosion of all matter that was about the size of the dot at the end of one of your sentences. If you didn't know what the Big Bang Theory is, that's it. Nothing existed except a tiny little dot which exploded and we have all this organization, this universe, just even our little solar system with the sun and the nine planets and the 57 moons that you can set your watch by. Uh, they're so accurate that all be, it came from an explosion. Now, science in its simplest definition is knowledge based on observation or experiment. That's what, that's what science is. Uh, if you can observe something over and over and over again, you know, you, you hold this pen out and you let it go and, you, and, and, and it falls to the ground, and you do that a million times, you begin to gain some knowledge based on experience that there's some kind of magnetic force in the middle of this earth somehow that keeps us all attached to it. Uh, and so we call that gravity. We make up a name for it. And that's based on observation or experiment. Now take experiment. Start blowing up things. Blow up things a million times. And see if order ever comes about by something exploding in pieces. Now, this happened about 13.8 million years, a billion years ago, we're told. Just, just grab a number, that's science. Throw it at people. And when you say it thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of times, and it's the only theory of origin that's taught to children for generations and generations and generations and generations, people tend to believe it. Now, this was all started by Georges Lemaitre in 1927. He was 32 years old at the time, and he was a Roman Catholic priest. A Roman Catholic priest, 1927, that's only 95, this theory is not even 100 years old. Georges Lemaitre just pulled a number out and said everything exploded and he was a Catholic priest. And people began to embrace that and say, oh, that's how it all happened. And that's where we come today, to where we are. There are problems with it, quite a few. Now, they say all scientists are pretty much universally agreed that that's exactly how it says. No, no, no. That's another lie. I was watching a video this week of an evolutionist explaining the Big Bang Theory because I, I said, I want to get in their heads. I want to figure out how do they think. And that's what they say. They say all scientists universally accept this now. No. If he said all liberal, progressive, atheistic, agnostic scientists all agree universally this is how it came about, uh, then I would believe them. But the truth is, even a Gallup poll showed that over half of the scientists today with degrees don't believe in it. 
But anyways, our sun and our solar system is shrinking. It's getting smaller. Why? It's burning up. That's the second law of thermodynamics. Everything's winding down, burning up, wearing out, getting old. And so it's shrinking, and we know the rate that it's shrinking. And if we reverse the rate that it's shrinking, and we go the other way and make it grow, going back in time, the surface of the sun would have been touching this earth 20 million years ago. Um, And the surface of the earth is around 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit. And, you know, it gets like 100 degrees around here. We all are all complaining. 107, life starts to die. 107 degrees, life starts to die. That's why they stick a thermometer in your mouth. Say, man, if you're up that high, you're, you're starting to die, buddy. You're checking out. Plants are dying. Trees are dying. And that's why you go to some places. I lived in Arizona for six months, and it's a, it's a desert. Um. But if the sun was touching the earth at 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit, any life that was evolving at the time would be killed and the planet would be just cooked. It wouldn't even exist anymore. So there's a lot of problems in their theories. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter number 6. 1 Timothy chapter number 6. And I want you to notice we're going through this on Wednesday nights, First and Second Timothy. I think it's really... Blesses my heart. I don't know about you, but I hope you'll come. They're great books. But to the young preacher Timothy, Paul says this in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 20, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. Avoid profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science, falsely so-called, or what we would call today pseudoscience. He said you've got to avoid pseudoscience. Don't try to mix that in to make it fit into the Bible somehow. Avoid it. Which some, even in Timothy's days, some professing have erred from the faith, concerning the faith. And so it's, it, I don't know what kind of pseudoscience they had in Timothy's day, but we sure see some pseudoscience in our day. Some real Johnny-come-lately ideas of origins like evolution. Cosmic evolution, and of course, there is uh, life, and uh, I love this quote. I've read it about ten times in this church. It's from Charles Darwin. Charles Darwin said about the eyeball, to suppose that the eye with all its inimitable contrivances for adjusting the focus to different distances, for admitting different amounts of light, and for the correction of spherical and chromatic aberration could have been formed by natural selection seems, I confess, absurd in the highest degree. See, they quote what they want to about Charles Darwin. But they don't always quote what he said. He said to suppose that your eyeball came about by natural selection. He said, as I suppose is absurd in the highest degree. And you got two of them. And they're both different. Now they work together. But uh, we're told 
All the children are told, look, you're a bunch of animals. You came out of some primordial ooze. You crawled out of that. And you were monkeys for millions of years and orangutans and, and uh, gorillas. And you advanced out of that and now you're humans. And you're just a bunch of advanced animals. Now when you teach that to children, they believe. They believe what you teach. And when you look at the bloodiest, bloodiest century in all of human history, which was the 1900s, the bloodiest century in all of human histories, it was the evolutionists who were leading the bloodshed. All the bloodiest men that have ever lived, like Mao Zedong, Joseph Stalin, Adolf Hitler, Pol Pot, Kim Jong-il, Hirohito, Vladimir Lenin, All of those bloody murders, unbelievable. I mean, you, you, you just Google when you get home, bloodiest leaders of all time, and they come up, they're basically in the 1900s. Everyone was an evolutionist, not one was a creationist. Not one. It's some dangerous stuff. Pseudoscience. 65 million years ago, there were dinosaurs on earth, we're told. They all went extinct. Why? An asteroid hit our planet. Killed them all. Did you ever think that through? Dinosaurs all over the planet. An asteroid comes, hits the planet somewhere. All the dinosaurs die off. Everything else that was evolving kept living. But the dinosaurs all died off because an asteroid hit our planet 65 million years ago. I wonder how big the sun was then. That's science today. That's pseudoscience. Or is it a lie? Number one, the lie of evolution. Number two, the lie of ecumenicalism. The lie of ecumenicalism. That's another lie that is propagated today. What is ecumenicalism? It's that any religion is okay, any church is okay, any Bible is okay, and any view of God is okay as long as you believe in God. Well, that's convenient. There are multiple ways into heaven, multiple ways to interpret God, and multiple ways to worship God. And so ecumenical <coughs> comes from a Greek word oikumene, which means that they all may be one, which is... You know, sometimes a half a truth is a big, the biggest lie. Because Jesus said that they all may be one, but the rest of the statement is what? As we are one. That was his prayer in John 17. He prayed, Father, that they all may be one, as we are one. Who's he talking about, we? When he's praying, who's he talking about? He's talking about the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy... Do they disagree on anything? They don't disagree on anything. They're one. Well, the problem with the ecumenical movement is they all disagree on everything. But they say what we need to do is to set our doctrine aside so that we can all be one. 
Everybody, Christians, Muslims, Buddhists, Hindus, Jehovah's Witness, Mormons, Catholics, whatever you call yourself, God just wants us all to be one. And He has revealed Himself to different people in different cultures by different names. Boy, I I hope I never meet someone like that that doesn't even know what their name is. Really. As far as I'm concerned, a person's credibility is shot if they can't even tell me what their name is. And why would a God confuse so many people on earth by saying, well, to you Hindus, I'm this, and to you Buddhists, I'm this, and to you Muslims, I'm this, to you Christians, I'm this. Wow, who would follow a God like that for anything? No, we read back at Christmas, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. God knows what his name is. And God is great enough to tell us what His name is. That's not so hard. If you ask me, what is your name? It's not that hard for me to tell you what my name is. And God can tell us what His name is. And God has told us what His name is. Thou shalt call His name Jesus, for He shall save His people from their sin. You see, what is happening on earth today is that there is a one-world religion that is beginning to form itself that is going to someday give its power to a one-world leader. The guide of the one-world religion is called the false prophet in the book of Revelation. The one-world leader is called the beast or the Antichrist. That's what's setting up. And so... It sounds Christian. And I've been asked this question 25 times. Why can't all the churches just get along? My answer is because we're completely different. Amos chapter 3 and verse 3 says, Can two walk together except they be agreed? And as we're learning on Wednesday night, 16 times Paul says to Timothy, the young preacher, in First and Second Timothy and Titus, the importance of holding to sound doctrine without compromise. That's why we can't. I can remember loved ones. Why don't the uh, family, relatives, why don't the churches all just get along? Because we're all different. Some of those churches deny that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. They deny that the Bible is the Word of God. They deny that God created all things. They deny that there's a hell and, and, and so many of the other Uh, doctrines of the faith, they deny them. Now, we want to believe sound doctrine. Now, I realize that sound doctrine is important, and I know there's smaller issues that are personal preferences. That's where we just have charity for each other if we disagree on some smaller things. We just have charity and say, well, that's his conviction. You know, dear old brother Al, he's with the Lord now. He used to always call Sunday, Sunday's the Sabbath. All right, I love you, Brother Al. Let's go out soul winning for five years. Have some wonderful times, wonderful experiences. I believe Sunday's the Lord's Day. The Sabbath was for Israel, but whatever. Small little preferences. Uh, We can have charity one for another, but boy, not sound doctrine, man. We got to fight the good fight. And we got to preserve the faith for the next generation. See, God didn't want us all to be the same. He he wanted to make us a 
peculiar people. We'll get to this in Titus, but Titus chapter 2, verse 14, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. We're supposed to be different, not all the same. We're supposed to be separate. We learned in Sunday school this morning, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and you shall be sons and daughters unto me. God wants us to be separated. Jesus wasn't that concerned about ecumenicalism. In fact, in John 6 and verse 66, it says about him in his church, it says, and many turned back, and many of his disciples turned back and walked no more with him. Because they didn't understand a, a hard statement he made. And he turned to the other 12 and said, will you also go away? And they said, where will we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And they stuck with them. But a lot of them left them. A lot of them left them. Number three, the lie of existentialism. This is a word you hear a lot nowadays. Existentialism. What does that mean? It's the extraneous view that the rules of God do not apply to us today. They are irrelevant. They are out of date. And they're not pertinent for us today. Man is totally free and responsible only for his own actions and interpretations of God's word. Existence takes precedence over essence or integrity. In other words, we're just here to exist. Now, as I was reading that definition, have you ever heard this before in the Bible somewhere? Does this sound like Satan talking to Eve in Genesis chapter number 3? That's not relevant what God said. Eve, what did God tell you? And Eve said, he said, if we partake of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we shall die. And he said, you're not going to die. Trust me, he's a liar. He's a liar from the beginning. He's the father of lies. He says, you're not going to die. He said, God knows that when you partake of that tree, then your eyes will be open and you'll be as God's. You'll decide for yourself what is good and evil. He doesn't want you to. He's, he's holding out on you. God's bad. God's bad. Okay, I'm good. Go ahead. And she died. He lied and she died. But existentialism is where people today just think, I'm just here to exist. Don't you tell me anything about your rules, God's rules, or something. They are not relevant. This is 2023. That old archaic book of yours, keep it out of my life. It's not relevant. Let me ask you this. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Does that sound relevant? Would that work today? Would that help us today? Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Wouldn't that be nice to live in a world where people said, I think that would work today. Honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long in the land which the Lord thy God hath given thee. That sounds pretty relevant, doesn't it? How about this one? Thou shalt not steal. Boy, that would be nice. Remember when these things were relevant and they were posted in every single schoolroom in America and every town hall and everything, and we didn't have looters waiting for a blizzard to start so they could loot. 
What an opportunity. The police can't get to us. I wonder if some of those looters had read growing up, Thou shalt not steal, if maybe the Holy Ghost would have just flashed that verse into their minds, even if they're lost. And they said, wait a minute, I can't do this. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not covet. Man, those all sound pretty relevant to me. Sounds relevant to me. Being honest in business, paying your bills, paying your landlord, your rent. That's all about biblical basis. It sounds relevant to me. It would work. Existentialism. I just exist. I don't want anyone telling me I'm just here to exist and my existence takes precedence over any rules, any laws. Then the lie of esotericism, number four. Esotericism. I should be, I should be spelling these out like Mike did in Sunday school because there may be people watching in the future <laughs> who they do that. You know, they listen or they watch in the future and... Uh, and by the way, I hope the, I hope the folks out of Brightway Baptist, I hope you all got your notes there. We weren't sure if you would get them or not today, but uh, so you could figure out what I'm saying. I didn't make these words up. I had to look them up. Esotericism, number four. Only a f- chosen few understand. You really cannot understand without help. The Bible without someone or of more intelligence interpreting it is a useless book. Intellectualism overrules the simplicity and basic clarity of God's word. All right, that's esotericism. There's always been these types of people in religion and in government. You're too stupid. You need a few of us to tell you what to think. Well, that sounds like the socialism we're hearing about today. Where these countries, the socialists get in power and take over in in, in government, esotericism in government. And they say, you know, we will tell you how much baking soda you need every week. We will tell you how many potatoes you need every week. We'll tell you how much gas you need every week. We'll tell you when you need your electric on and when we're going to shut it off. Because you don't know that. We're smarter than you. You just get in line. Just be subject to us. Whatever we say, just do it. Keep your mouth shut. Do you see that spirit on earth today? That's a lie. God gave you your own brain. And you're supposed to use it. And you know how many potatoes you need this week. And how much baking soda and how much milk and eggs. You know how much gas you need. And uh, whatever else you need. Esotericism in government. But there's also esotericism in religion. And that's when some clergy say, look, you're the laity. We got secret insights from God. We know. You just listen to us. The Lord called that in the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and 3, he called that the deeds of the Nicolaitans and the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Nikaio, 
Nike. You wear Nikes? That means victory. Laity, laitans means the people. Nicolaitans, as you read it in the book of Revelation, means victory or power over the people. And Jesus said he hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans and the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. He hated it. And yet it was all the way back in the first century, there were already clergymen who were trying to take power over the people. That's not in the scriptures. Uh, in fact, you know, Pastor Barron, myself, Pastor Garland, um, I like to remember, the Lord likes to remind me of 2 Corinthians one twenty four. It says, not as though we have dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy. I don't have dominion over anyone's faith, but I'm trying to help you with your joy because the joy of the Lord is your strength. And I will tell you, if you live this way, it'll, it'll bring joy into your life. But I don't come into your house and force things. I just tell you what the Word of God says, but I don't have any dominion over your faith. I refuse to take dominion over anybody. You tell my husband what to do? No. I'll tell him what the Bible says. I hope he takes it and lives it. Same thing with your finances or whatever. Free will. You can tithe if you want to. I think you'll be blessed if you do. It'll help your joy. Give offerings. We're not going to shut the door on you if you don't. Esotericism is in the church. But what does the Bible say? Turn to 2 Timothy 3 and verse 15. Does the clergy, do the Masons, they're another group, the Mormons, the JWs, the Roman Catholics, all of them say we're the only ones that are right. The Church of Christ. Baptists never say that. We never say we're the only ones that that are right. We say anybody, who I don't care who you are, who's come to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you're right. I don't care where you got saved. But boy, the Jehovah's Witnesses, they're, they're the only ones that are right. Mormons, they'll, they'll, do you ask them, they're the only ones that are right. Catholics, they're the only ones that are right. We're the mother church. Church of Christ, they'll tell you we're the only ones that are right. That's esotericism. But the Baptists, there's a line of blood that goes all the way back to Christ that the Baptists follow down through history. It's called the Trail of Blood. And they've always believed in individual personal liberty. And whosoever will may come and be saved, whether you ever come to a Baptist church or not. In fact, if anything, we'll tell you how often we're wrong. (laughs) Do we need clergy? Well, yeah, in a way. I mean, they they study, they try to learn things, they try to share them with you, but you can learn the Bible without them. Look what it says here in 2 Timothy 3.15. And that from a child, 
Thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. From a child. That's what the Bible says. I want to read what Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, verse 21. This is the very opposite of esotericism. I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. That's the opposite. Thank you, Lord, that you've hid these things from the wise guys who think they're the only ones right. And you've revealed these things to babes. To babes. Well, you just stay like a baby bird with your mouth open. Open thy mouth wide and the Lord said, I'll fill it. God will show you personally things from the scriptures all of your life. Even if you were on a deserted island and never had a pastor, the Holy Spirit will teach you the Word of God. Now, we might not have any problem with these first four, but boy, this last one. Man, alive, I should have, should have saved more time. Probably in a church like this, there's not many people, number one, struggling with the lie of evolution or the lie of ecumenicalism. We're separated Baptists. We're not isolated. We're trying to reach people. But we're separated from the world. We don't believe in existentialism. We're not, we don't just believe I exist, don't tell me what God, no, we want to know what God says. Esotericism, no, I don't believe I've ever been a Nicolaitan. I don't think Pastor Barron has ever been a Nicolaitan or Pastor Seth has ever been a Nicolaitan. We're just trying to help you with your joy, with your joy, trying to help you with your joy. Really enjoy God and follow the Lord, walk in His ways, obey Him and have a good life, a better resurrection. But boy, this last one. Wow, I'm, I'm sorry I just left a few minutes for this. The lie of emotionalism. I don't watch much TV, but whenever I do, everybody's crying. They're singing and they're crying. And they're, you know, Dr. So-and-so and Dr. So-and-so, and there's people bawling their brains out. And we have this woke indoctrination which is all emotionalism. Let's read it. What is the lie of emotionalism? This is the appeal to the emotions. If it feels good, it must be right. If it feels bad, it must be wrong. If it feels good, it cannot possibly be wrong. God wants me to be happy more than He wants me to be holy. Experience, that is my own personal experience, has authority over the Word of God. If, if my experience does not line up with the Word of God, I'm going to follow my experience. Well, I experienced this. Man, that's contrary to the Bible. I don't care, I experienced it. If you hurt my feelings, you are wrong and need to be silenced. God honors my needs for rights over my need for righteousness. That's emotionalism. Whatever I feel. Well, what do I say? I feel like killing you. And whatever I feel should... You have no right to say I, I, I can't do what I feel. You need to be silenced. 
There's a lot of that. It's called woke. W-O-K-E. It's kind of a new word to last since 2017. Praise the Lord. I'm not a Republican. I've never belonged to the Republican Party, but the Republicans took over the House, and a guy named Jim Banks, I forgot what it was, Friday. No, Jim, something. he's a Republican from Indiana in the House of Representatives. He started the Anti-Woke Caucus. Praise the Lord for him. I forgot, I forgot what his name was, but... Uh, Praise the Lord for him. I'm praying for him. I'm going to go home and get his name down. I wrote it on my blotter on my desk. I'm going to start praying for that guy to have success. Because that woke indoctrination has crept into schools, colleges, universities, military. Almost any place some of you work, some of that has infiltrated. And they've told you, you can't say anything about this. You can't even think this. And that's tyranny. That's contrary to the First Amendment of our Constitution, freedom of speech. It's all based on emotionalism. All based on emotionalism. You can't hurt my feelings. That's basically what the woke doctrine is. You can't hurt my feelings. Man, what kind of a country? The country's already rotten. And if everybody just started living by that, my feelings are what's the most important thing. And if it feels good, I don't care what God says. If it feels good for me to run off with this woman and forsake my wife, don't tell me I'm wrong. You need to be silenced. Well, we're warned. We'll get to this in a Wednesday night. Now, the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits. That's feelings, emotions. That prophecy is coming to pass right in front of our eyes. Emotionalism. Man, the problem with that is they're always changing. You know, this girl wants to be a guy, and so she goes through all these surgeries, and she changes and says, boy, I wish I could be a girl again, and she's all messed up already. We're starting to read those stories. But boy, don't hurt their feelings and tell them something like, well, God said he made us male and female. That's it. Well, they got the LGBTQIA and plus, and then they got a plus at the end because they know they're going to add more letters. And you can't say anything. You might hurt their feelings. You might hurt their feelings. Well, you know what I feel about little feelings, man. Feelings come and feelings go, and feelings are deceiving. My warrant is the Word of God, not else is worth believing. What does the Bible say? I don't care about your feelings. I don't care about my feelings. The Bible's always hurting my feelings. Every time I read it, it slaps me in the head. It says, quit being a baby. Grow up. Be a man. Proverbs, I'll, I'll close with this. Proverbs 25, verse 28 says, and every one of us should memorize this so the Holy Ghost can use it in our lives. It says, he that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down without walls. I mean, you want to see some train wrecks of a human being. You watch men and women who can't rule their own feelings and their own emotions. We don't want to follow the lie of emotionalism. Boy, look, what, look where emotions have taken people. Their lifestyles, their decisions, 
the consequences from those. We've got to rule our own spirit. And, and the Holy Ghost is there to help us. So here's some lies. We'll go on to some more tonight. But for now, let's just bow our heads and close our eyes in a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. I thank you for Brother Prime, our dear friend out in Schenectady. Help him, Lord, with the new church he's pastoring. And uh, thank you that he took the time to uh, make an alliteration that would help us to understand the wiles of the devil, the devices of the devil in this day and age, and all these big words. Lord, help us to stay close to you and close to your word, the Bible. And then we will know that these are counterfeits, that these are lies. And Lord, help us to walk in the truth. Jesus, uh, you are the truth in a body. The Bible is a truth in a book. And the Holy Spirit is the truth in the believer. And we thank you. We're not proud. We don't think we're the only ones that are right, but we believe we're in the truth because we're in Christ, we're in the book, and we're in the Holy Ghost. And so lead us. Bless tonight's service. And now as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, the piano begins to play a song of invitation. If there's anybody today that needs to come to this altar and pray about something, or maybe you're struggling with some of these just want to say, God, help me with this or this or the other. i got to study this out. Or I think the devil kind of fooled me into some of these things, and I want to just change and walk in the truth. You could come and pray right now. Come and pray. God's house is a house of prayer. How about your emotions, your spirit? Boy, the things that we can hide externally, but on the inside just eating us up, controlling us, turning us sometimes into ugly men or ugly women because we need help inwardly in our spirit. Oh, so many times, hundreds, probably thousands of times I have said, Lord, help my spirit today. I don't want to be angry. I don't want to have violent thoughts, lustful thoughts, proud thoughts. Arrogant thoughts, haughty thoughts, envious thoughts, jealousy, any of that. I just, God help me. My, my spirit, I need your help. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with thy spirit. Paul would tell Timothy, the young preacher, we need God's grace just to live with ourselves. But God can help us. He'll save your soul. He'll sanctify your spirit. You can live with yourself. He'll even give you wisdom on how to take care of your body, how to eat, how to drink. And you'll start feeling better in all three ways, spirit, soul, and body. And you'll start enjoying your existence. And boy, once you start enjoying your existence, you can reach out then and help others. Is there anyone today to say, Pastor, Closing, pray for me. I don't know for sure if, if I died today that I'd go to heaven. But if it's possible for a man or a woman to honestly know that, I would like to know that. For sure. I, I think I'm going, but I have some doubts. But if a person could really know that for sure, would you pray for me 
that I could know that for sure that I'm saved from all my sins. Jesus is my Savior. I'm going to heaven someday. If you say, man, I am not sure about that. Would you raise your hand? Let me just pray for you. I'll just include you in my prayer in closing. Is there anyone raise your hand and say somewhere along the line in the message today, God spoke to me about something I've been falling for. I've been falling for something. And maybe it's this emotionalism that my emotions should rule my life. This isn't a Hallmark movie we're living in. This is reality. No one else is looking, but somewhere along the line, God spoke to me. Pastor, would you pray for me in your closing prayer that God would help me? God bless you and you. Anyone else? God bless you. Thank you for your honesty. Father, I pray for these now that have raised their hands and others that maybe are struggling with their emotions. Lord, I know that even to this day as a pastor, there's times where my emotions start taking me over. And I have to rule my spirit and get back to the Word, back to the Bible, the unchanging Word of God. Help us as men and women to be strong emotionally. Help the young men, the young ladies, the unmarried to have a strong spirit that they can rule. Lord, we just pray for your blessing now in the rest of this study tonight, sermon, and our fellowship now as we dismiss. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.